Hey, Scott Walker here on another episode of Freedom Fighters. Thanks so much for joining us. Hard to believe this week with all that's happening in, in the world, understandably Ukraine with Russia, what we're seeing with all the nonsense uh, negotiations with Iran, uh, what's potentially been happening with Venezuela. I, I want to bring it back home, and I want to particularly tie it in, for me, back home to Wisconsin. Hard to believe, but seven years ago this week, on March 9, 2015, I signed Freedom to Choose. Many people refer to it as right to work, but I call it Freedom to Choose because that's really what it's about. It's about giving employees, in this case all employees, public and private, whether you work in a government entity, a nonprofit, or somewhere in the private sector, everyone the right to choose. Of course, years before that, on March 11th, 2011, so 11 years ago, hard to believe, uh, I signed what was now known as Act 10, Wisconsin Act 10, uh, for the 2011-2012 uh, legislative session. It is a law that's been much talked about and not been repealed for all the talk and hype and hysteria on the left. It still remains intact and is still saving literally billions of dollars. Since 2011, the total, I think, and I've tallied it up recently, but the total just last year when we had the 10th anniversary was over $13 billion in savings to state and local governments, to schools, to towns, the counties, the villages, to the state government itself. But more important than that, it really was about freedom as well. It was about taking the power out of the hand of the big government union bosses, the big government special interest, and transferring that power back where it belongs, in the hands of the hardworking taxpayers. The hardworking taxpayers and the people they duly elect to run their local and state governments. Something I had known firsthand. People said, oh, where did this come from? Did it come from this group or that group or the Koch brothers or anybody else out there. No, it had literally come from me serving for nearly eight years as a local official. I was the Milwaukee County Executive. I came in in 2002 after a great big scandal and all sorts of nonsense. I was the first Republican ever elected, and everybody said I wasn't going to be reelected, but we had to take on the unions. They were the biggest obstacle. I still remember in 2010 when Democrats controlled all of state government in Wisconsin and most places around the country. Back then, because of the economy and the budgetary crisis that faced face the state at that time, Democrat governor, Democrat legislative majorities, they saw fit to adjust budgets, so much so that it cut aid to state uh, government for sure, but it also cut massive amounts from local government. I was a county official. We had... Mid-year wasn't even something we could make up with uh, in terms of tax revenue, although I'd proposed budgets eight years in a row that did not raise the property tax levy from the previous year. Uh, so I'd made a firm commitment on, on that, something that had not been done before I was in office. But even if we'd wanted to, which I didn't, couldn't do it because it was mid-year after the levy had been set, but state government cut us just like they cut the schools and towns and villages and other municipalities and so we were faced with a challenge. As I tried to do as governor when I was a local official, I, I tried to simply be creative. And so instead of mass layoffs, we proposed doing for four months in a row, for one week a month, a 35-hour work week. In fact, we even tried to be nice about it. We thought for, for non-essential, for non-24-7 operations, we'd propose doing it at the end of a week so that people, at least if they weren't getting the last five hours of their pay or their, their work time in for their paycheck, uh, that at least they'd have a, a little bit of an extra long weekend. So we thought, plus it was an easy way to explain to the public, 
Monday through Thursday, regular office hours Friday. Uh, all non-essential county offices would be open until noon. The big hang-up, though, was to do that, and it would include me, so I wasn't proposing it for the unions. I proposed it for all of our employees, whether they were unionized or not, and included me and the members of my administration. So we'd take a pay cut and cup of, on top of the cut I already took, because some may and others may not know, for the first several years I was in office because the pay for county executive was far more than even the governor at the time was making. I cut my salary in half, which my wife tonight still reminds me about, uh, but I cut my salary in half. In this case, that would have been added on top of it with a 35-hour work week, a reduction from a full work week. But we thought it was a good way to go. Well, we'd, it would minimize the impact on the public in terms of services. It certainly would minimize the impact on, in terms of employees spreading it over the entire workforce. When I told the unions, they basically said I should take a long walk off a short pier. Well, I'm cleaning it up. They they really said something far worse than that. They told me to go to hell and a handbasket and everything in between. Why? Well, because for most government-run unions, the people with the most seniority are more often than not the most engaged, the most involved. They're the leaders. And so they don't want to give up an ounce of time as it leads to their pension because they're near their retirement. The irony was... For those who claim to be about solidarity, the people that they hurt the most were typically the newest employees, oftentimes the youngest, or in many cases, people with young parents, single parents in many cases. I still remember a couple employees from the county's child support enforcement unit coming in, and one of them was a longer-time employee who came up with a young person who was on her staff and said, oh, we're all so willing to do this 35-week week. Why can't you do it? And I said, go talk to your union representative. They're the ones blocking it. So we came into office as governor early in 2011. The state was facing a $3.6 billion gap going into the next biennial budget, all because of these excessive commitments that the governor and prior legislature had made. And, and in fact, even in the existing biennial budget, which lasted until June 30th of that year, 2011, we were facing enough of a gap that state law actually required uh, the governor, in my case me, but any governor with that kind of a gap in terms of revenues and expenditures to propose what's called a budget repair bill. That bill ultimately, when passed and signed into law by me 11 years ago this week, was called Act 10. And we knew the choices were not good. Uh, we could raise taxes. Besides the fact I said I wouldn't do it and hadn't done it in the past, which was a non-starter, I just said even, even if I would, at a time when the economy, when the state had lost over 133,000 jobs, when unemployment at the beginning of 2010, it peaked out at 9.2%. The last thing I wanted to do was, was raise taxes on employers and individuals. That would just be like throwing a wet blanket on. We could have cut $3.6 billion from the state's Medicaid budget, but that wasn't the way to act either. You know, that, that would have affected needy families and children and seniors. And I wanted reforms in Medicaid, particularly for able-bodied working-age adults, and that came later, but that's something we couldn't do right off the bat, at least not in those first few months. And another option would be to lay off tens of thousands of government workers. But again, I'm all for reducing the size and scope of the government. But you do that not through random pink slips, but through targeted reform, meaningful reform, and we did that over time as well. 
So instead, I knew as a local government official, the only thing left, the biggest part of the budget out there was aid the local governments, to schools and other local governments. But to keep from decimating those local governments, you had to give them something in return. As a local official for those eight years prior, I knew that collective bargaining, the big government union bosses in particular were the ones blocking those sorts of reforms, those sorts of changes. And so that's what Act 10 did. It took that power out of their hands and gave it back not only to the hardworking taxpayers, but to the people they duly elect at the local level to run their governments. Since then, state and local governments have saved, as I said, over $13 billion. But more important than the money has been the fact that, that now governments in Wisconsin can do something remarkable. They get, we got rid of seniority and tenure. You can staff based on merit. You can pay based on performance. For example, in the schools, that means you can put the best and the brightest in the classroom and keep them there. And it's worked for all the hype and hysteria at the time about how awful this is going to be, particularly, <coughs> excuse me, particularly for public education. Truth be told, schools continue to be great. Graduation rates in Wisconsin were continued during my tenure to be some of the highest in the nation. Wisconsin continuously ranked as one of the top states in America when it comes to ACT scores for states that test all their, all their students. Uh, we were hitting the mark. And, and in fact, by the time the recall came around the next year, we won by not only a higher percentage, but a higher actual vote total than we had in the first election. Why? Because common sense conservative reforms worked and the voters could see that. Schools that embraced and used our reforms were seeing results that were better than they had in the past. Property taxes, which had skyrocketed for years, were down, actually down for the first time in more than a decade. In the years since, we just saw recently the Wisconsin Policy Forum put out a report that showed that new data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics showed that while nearly all states have seen a decline in the concentration of the workforce that's unionized over the past two decades, None, none was more so than Wisconsin. They point out that, that more than 20 years ago, in 2000, 17.8% of all the employed people in Wisconsin were members of a union, the 10th highest concentration of any state in the nation. But by 2021, that number had fell, fallen below 8%, 7.9 to be exact. That meant Wisconsin was ranked 28th amongst the states, and actually for the first time in a long time below the national average, below the national average. It, the drop of nearly 10% between 2000 and 2021 was the largest margin of any state in the nation by three full points and substantially, obviously, more than the national drop. If you look overall, the more than 55% decline in the rate of union membership in Wisconsin at that same time period ranked second only to South Carolina, who consistently had the lowest uh, ranking in the nation in both 2000 and again in 2021. So why is that? Well, again, it goes back to freedom, something I've talked about quite a bit on this podcast. You give people the freedom to choose. You know, for a school teacher in Milwaukee who may have been paying something like $1,400, $1,500 in union dues at the state and local level, now he or she has this chance to say, is this union really providing me professional leadership and training, development? Or are they just taking my money and spending it on causes that may not be aligned with who I am and who my family is? And so for a lot of those folks, they said, no, I'm going to go somewhere else. And the few unions in the private sector that continue to do well, 
were the ones like many of the trade unions, where they actually offered some training, some development, some positive benefits for them. Instead of taking their dollars out of their union dues and spending it on supporting political candidates that all too often ran contrary to the very things that those individuals stood for. It's all about freedom. Giving people the freedom to choose whether they want to be in a union or not, whether they want to be, um, <clears throat> whether they want their dollars to go for something they think is valuable or they want to keep them for themselves. Maybe to spend on their kids' college education or expanding their home or doing any number of other things out there. The choice is now theirs. It's March 11, 2011. We signed a law, a law that became effective a few months later, Act 10, that gave that choice, that freedom of choice to people in the government sector. And a few late years later, after we signed the new law on March 9th, 2015, the same freedoms were given to all employees, whether they work for the government, in the nonprofit world, <clears throat> or in the private sector in general. And we've seen people exercise their right to choose. It's all about freedom. I'm Scott Walker. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, keep fighting for freedom. Oh,